Yo, what is up, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you all to another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 95. Man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great this week. Hopefully, each and every one of you all are feeling amazing, too. If not, yo, rock with me for another hour, half or so. Hopefully, I can cheer you up because we've got an amazing show lined up for you this week, man. What the hell is going on with the Lakers? There's a lot of blame to go around, including, yes, there's a lot of blame to go to LeBron James. We're going to break down what's going on in La La Land, and I'm going to tell you who, who, which player, which icon deserves the lion's share of the blame. Also, what happens when one of my greatest passions meets one of my biggest fears? Well, we'll find out in our second quarter. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First, There are certain topics when it comes to sports that I try to avoid like the plague. You know, I call it like sports low-hanging fruit because ultimately it's stuff that you hear on every single AM dial on your drive home or your drive to work, your sports talk radio show, no matter which city you're living in. If you listen to XM or Sirius, They talk about it in the dog days of summer where there is no NBA, no NFL. You know, which dream team is the best? Jordan versus LeBron, right? I've talked about that one time, and that was it. Don't have any desire to do it anymore because what I found is no matter what I say or no matter what you believe, no one is going to move anyone else from their position, right? These topics have been discussed ad nauseum so much that everyone who has ever listened to it more than three times has has yelled at the radio or yelled at their television or talked about it at their barbershop so much that they know their points. They know which kind of talking points that they're going to hit. They've memorized it and there is nothing that you or I or anyone else can say to move them. So it doesn't matter the topic. Is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time? That will never be discussed on this show. I may give give you my opinion as an antidote, right? I feel he is. But there's so many people who go back and forth on it that you know what? Y'all had that. I'm not going to be moved. I told you guys probably when it first started, I had maybe two Colin Kaepernick topics. And that was it. I was done because... That, again, was something where people on each side would just dig in to whatever position they're going to be. And I'm not saying right or wrong, just in the in the topic. People would dig in, and no matter what anyone would say, nothing would matter. Because they're, they, no one would move on their position. And, yes, I do know last week I had a little fun. I put it in halftime. But you guys know what I mean. There's not going to be a long, drawn-out quarter about that or any other topic. Well, kind of. Because this quarter, I'm actually going to do something that I try not to do. I'm going to talk about a topic that's been discussed ad nauseum. And it stems from Zion Williamson's injury just two weeks ago. Now, in case you guys have been living under a rock, or you just don't pay attention to college basketball, even more so than myself, 
Zion Williamson will be the number one drafted pick, number one player drafted in this upcoming NBA draft. Plays for Duke. It has wowed everyone. I mean, there are people who I trust, people who I respect a great deal, who do this scouting uh, in terms of college athletes, and they say his what Zion is doing has never been seen. So all week, you know, Duke, North Carolina is big business anyway, but with the added, you know, the addition of Zion Williamson, it was must-see TV. So the entire week leading up to this game, Zion is being billed, Zion and Duke versus the Tar Heels. That's how it was. It wasn't Duke versus North Carolina. It wasn't Coach K versus Warrior Williams. It was Zion and the Blue Devils versus North Carolina. He was top billing. And 30 seconds into that game, in a remarkable play, you all have probably seen it countless times now, his shoe literally just busts. His foot breaks the shoe. And he slides awkwardly. He holds his knee. It was terrifying in the moment because this young man is looking at hundreds of millions of dollars within two decades of his life. He's 19 years old. Before he is 40, he will have hundreds of millions of dollars, which is insane when you break it down like that, right? And all of that goes between his eyes, like flashes before his eyes. Now, I am not going to debate whether he should sit out or continue to play. That is not my decision. You know, if I was Zion's father, I would not want him to play unless I wouldn't want him to play college basketball unless he wanted the college experience, right? I have no, if you want to go to college and you want to play college basketball because you want, you love college basketball. And this is a point that I think it's missed too much. There are a lot of guys who love college basketball. They, they play well in college basketball. And the college experience is something that a lot of people truly enjoy. I don't know Zion's economic background. I'm not going to assume. I don't know his family situation. I don't know any of that. So if I was Zion's father, I would tell him, if you want to play college basketball, continue to play college basketball. But if you're only going to play college basketball because you have to for this X amount of year to get into the NBA, well, then no. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no point. Again, that's if he was my son. But this quarter isn't even about that. Because in the aftermath of Zion's injury, I want to say like the next day the NBA proposed to, to you know, possibly end the one and done uh, rule in the next CBA agreement, I think 2022, which obviously will happen. And then, of course, it's the same old song, right? The same song and dance. Everyone comes out the woodwork with their, their beliefs on the one and done rule. Now, I am firmly against the one and done rule. I have always been against it. I think it's un-American. You know, if you believe in the free market, then you absolutely should believe that players, no matter the age, right? If they, if, if someone believes that they can make them money or they can earn a certain amount of money, they should be paid it. Free market, capitalism, right? If you believe in that, then you must believe in the one and done or doing away with the one and done rule. Unfortunately, and again, I like to think of myself as someone who can be talked out of something. 
But you got to present me something that makes sense. Don't just spew cliches and talking points to me and expect that that's going to somehow wow me. No, you're going to have to present some data. You're going to have to present some facts and you're going to have to be logical in your presentation. Because since this talk, since this discussion has started to pick back up about the one and done rule and Zion and Duke and the NBA and all this, I've heard so many people, so many radio hosts, so many sports pundits and analysts on television talk about why the NBA and the NBA needs the one and done rule and why the one and done rule is good for the NBA. And I just got to be like, stop. Because the, the, the reasons that you guys are giving me make no sense. So let me break it down for you. Despite the fact that I know I'm probably not going to change anyone's mind, allow me to present facts. Allow me to present reason and why I feel that this rule actually, actually doesn't help the NBA. Uh, Y'all know the rules here on the show. When I name someone, when I call out a person by name, it's not because I'm trying to clout chase. It's not because I'm taking shots or trying to be disrespectful. When I get, when I name someone, even if I disagree with them, it's out of respect, right? I respect what they do. I respect what they stand for, whatever the case may be. When I don't name you, that's when I don't have respect. So in saying that, this past weekend, I'm listening to radio station in D.C. And Craig Hoffman, I do not know him, don't know him at all. Uh, I know people who do know him, right? Seems like a cool guy. Boom. You know, I like some of the stuff that he does on the radio and tweets out, you know, follow him on Twitter the whole nine. So, you know, shout out. No disrespect. But he was giving his opinion on why the one and done rule is good for the NBA. And I was like, bro, come on, Slim. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't rock with this. And the first thing, his exhibit A, if you will, was to go from the, the point that the NBA actually implemented this rule up until now and said and went through kind of the top 10 players drafted since the implementation of the one and done rule and how many of them still play now reasonable people would ask all types of questions you know why would you just do top 10 the lottery is through top 14 why would you just do lottery you could do the whole first round you could do you know whatever the case why did he choose these parameters we all can you know discuss at another time but my biggest issue with his kind of, I don't know, reasoning, his argument, is that he compared the top 10 picks since 2007 up until now and said, you know, because there are so many players who were drafted in the top 10 who still play in the NBA, that the one and done rule has to be, you know, something good for the league. Because talent evaluators have the extra year to see if a player is good or not. So if they're still in the league, they must not be busts, yada, yada, yada. I think reasonable people can disagree on what a bust is and isn't. You know, if you draft someone number 10 and they play seven years, I don't know if it's a bust. If you draft someone number one and he plays seven years only, then yeah, he'd be looked upon as a bust. So again, it's all subject for your interpretation, but... The biggest issue I had with this kind of argument was that he didn't didn't compare top 10 players before the implementation of the one and done rule. Now, to his credit, 
He said he didn't have the time. He was very busy. He was breaking, you know, stuff from the burgundy and gold prior to his show starting. So I understand it would take a lot of time to comb through, you know, 12 years after the one and done rule and then 12 years before. But if you're not going to compare the number of busts, if you will, number of players who were not playing 12 years after they drafted or fewer, 12 or fewer years after being drafted. If you're not going to then compare that to before the one and done rule, you're not really giving us anything. You're not giving us any information. In fact, all you're doing is cherry picking. I strongly reject the notion that talent evaluators can do a better job because they have one extra year of college basketball to view. Austin Rivers had an extra year of college basketball than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Austin Rivers is still playing in the NBA. So maybe you don't consider him a bust. I believe he was the 10th overall pick, but I'm not certain. But I know he was drafted before Giannis. There is no way that anyone in their right mind would think that Austin Rivers was anything other than a bust especially considering that you could have had Giannis instead of him. And I would argue that most talent evaluators, scouts, GMs didn't draft Giannis higher because he didn't play college basketball. So the fact that he didn't play made, makes them look worse. You understand what I'm saying? Austin Rivers played college basketball. We all remember him hitting this huge shot in the Duke-North Carolina game that we were talking about with Zion earlier. We remember that. That then doesn't mean that he was a good player. But because you saw him, you see what I'm saying? It's bias. You see someone play at a big-time school, you automatic, your bias, and all of us will say, oh, well, he has to be sub, he has to be good. He played at Duke. He hit this big-time shot against North Carolina. He's got clutch gene, right? He's the son of a great coach. The whole nine. Go back and look at Giannis's draft, and you tell me the number of people who you would rather have had than him. I love Otto. I love Victor Oladipo. I think these guys are very good basketball players. Of course you'd rather have Giannis. You know what? Look at the two best players taken in that draft. Number one is Giannis. Number two is Rudy Gobert. But guess what? Neither of them had the opportunity of playing in college basketball. And both of them were drafted middle to low first round picks. So I reject the notion that the extra year in college basketball helps talent evaluators. In fact, I would argue that that extra year, that one year probably does as much good as harm because it plays into bias. But that wasn't the only argument that I've heard. Not just not from Craig now, from everyone. The people who are against or the people who are for the one and done rule. Because what I also heard, and I heard this a lot, was that Zion benefits from playing in college basketball. Jalen Rose was making this claim. People that I know and trust personally were making this claim that Zion playing for Duke has risen, has made his star power even greater and has made him more marketable had he not played. Now, of course, Zion playing at Duke 
helps him, right? It, it grows his Q rating. Someone like myself, at this time, 2018, I had no idea who Zion Williamson is, who was, okay? I don't pay attention to high school basketball. I very, I pay very little amount of attention to college basketball. So Zion playing for Duke has risen his Q rating, if you will, his stature. But I'm not ready to say that it's solely because of college. I think Zion raised his stature because he's been playing amazing and it doesn't matter where he was playing. Case in point, last year, Trey Young was playing amazing, so amazing that people were comparing him to Steph Curry. Wendell Carter was playing amazing. DeAndre Ayton playing amazing. Bagley playing amazing. Jared Jackson playing amazing. And all of these guys are playing amazing now in the pros. But let me ask you, who's the biggest star who, that was drafted this past draft? Who's the biggest star among the rookie class? And it's not even close. It's Luka Doncic. And guess what, guys? Um, If I'm not mistaken, he didn't play a second of college basketball. Luka Doncic would have been voted in by the fans to the All-Star game. <laughs> in the All-Star game. Without the benefit of playing for a college blue blood like much of those guys or playing in the NCAA tournament like much of the guys that I named in the same draft class. He didn't do that. Yet he was still able to be the biggest star of his draft class. He's clearly marketable. His Q rating is through the roof. And why is that? It's because when he plays basketball, he plays very well. Among other things. So Zion, wh why do I think that Zion would somehow be different? Kyrie only played 10, 11 games at Duke. Kyrie became a star in the NBA, not because of what he did at Duke. Sure, sure, college basketball can be a launching pad, if you will. It can help. But to think that Zion benefits from playing for playing Duke or that he needs to come back to make his star even bigger, that's absurd. That's completely ignoring recent trends. You think that, I don't know, you think that Luka is an outlier? It's odd if you consider Luka Doncic an outlier because I'm not even going to name LeBron or Kobe or Kevin Garnett or Dwight Howard or Amari Stoudemire. The list goes on and on and on of superstars who are or who did play in the NBA who skipped college completely, right? So if you think I'm cherry picking with Luka, number one, that's a little absurd. But number two, I'll just go back four years earlier. Carl Anthony Towns was playing for the historic Kentucky Wildcats basketball program that went undefeated throughout the regular season. They lost one time in the Final Four game. And Carl Anthony Towns, since turning pro, has been amazing. He has been a true elite basketball player. He's already made an All-NBA team, multiple-time All-Star. Again, one of the best players this league has to offer. D'Angelo Russell, All-Star this year. A lot of people are talking about him 
being in the most improved player race. He's only played for two organizations, Los Angeles and New York, right? The Lakers and the Nets. So he benefits from playing in the big market and have been played playing on the glamour team in the league, the Los Angeles Lakers. Devin Booker, again, also on that Kentucky Wildcat team, right? A historic team, three points champion, large Q rating, right? Scored 70-some-odd points in a game. Again, amazing talent. But of those players, and if you want to add Justice Winslow, if you want to add Miles Turner, go ahead and do it. All those guys play college basketball to big powerhouse schools. But of that draft class, guess who the biggest star is? Carl Anthony Towns is infinitely better than Kristaps Porzingis, and I'm not saying that as a bitter Nick fan. I still love Kristaps. I always will, right? But if you go back three years on my timeline, I'm talking about how I still wish the Knicks could have had Cat because Cat is better than Kristaps. I don't even think that's not a hot take, guys. That's just the reality of the situation. But Kristaps is the biggest star. He's more marketable. He's the guy on the covers selling this. You don't see Cat selling anything. Kristaps sells all types of stuff. And again, it can't just be market size because Kristaps is a bigger star than D'Angelo Russell. So two times in five years, I've given you guys without a second of college basketball being bigger draws, being more marketable, bigger stars, celebrities than their counterparts who went to huge big-time programs, who played in big-time March Madness games, and in some cases have played elite basketball. But Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis are far more marketable than their contemporaries. Giannis Antetokounmpo, far more marketable than his contemporaries. You you ask people around, who are the best players you know, in the mid-20s in this league. Giannis, you know, you got AD, you know, Harden. You know, you got these guys. And Giannis is the most marketable of them. He didn't play college basketball, y'all. So, we just went through the list. We just went through the gamut. The tire cliches continue, right? Oh, it's better for the league. It can't be better for the league, right? If you're telling me that the one-and-done rule is is for the betterment of the NBA. But weeks earlier, people were telling me that the European game produces better NBA players. They're more skilled. The game is better because of the European players. Well, then how does that work, guys? Because maybe I'm wrong, but both can't exist. You can't in one turn in one turn tell me that the European players are better for the professional game, better for the NBA because they are more skilled. Yet they don't play a second in college basketball, with the exception of Laurie Markkinen and Sabonis, right? Yet then turn around and say the one and done rule is good for the NBA. How? If the players who are more quote unquote skilled don't go to college then why do we think that college is going to help the best players here? I'll wait on that. 
Because that doesn't make sense to me at all. If you're also telling me it's better for the league because the general managers, the talent evaluators, the scouts, they have an extra year to look at a player, to know what a player is or isn't. I then also ask you, well, can't that also play be a detriment? Because you see a guy in college, and because again, we're human, we all have bias. We believe that college basketball is this minor league, this legit minor league system. Yet, time and time again, guys who score a lot of points in college basketball are viewed as being the second coming, and they never live up to that. Andrew Wiggins is the perfect example. Because Andrew Wiggins scored a lot of points at Kansas, another blue blood school, people drafted him number one. Because Jabari Parker scored a lot of points at Duke, a blue blood school, he was drafted number two. These guys were not that good. But because we have a certain amount of bias when it comes to college basketball, specifically the blue blood schools, you know what? Seeing them for an extra year probably played into that bias. I bet you a million dollars that whomever drafted Andrew Wiggins right now wishes he could do a do-over. I guarantee you that. And then if it's about, well, college makes these guys bigger stars, well, then how can you explain the, the biggest star out of this, upcoming, this last draft? How did that happen? Or the draft five years ago? Or the draft seven years ago? How, does, how, do, you, how do all of these things exist? I'm not saying I can't be moved off of my one-and-done opinion. It's going to be hard, but you could do it. And I wish someone would. If you want to, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me at quarterly show. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. So tweet at me, email me. I, I want to see where you guys are coming from. I welcome the information. I welcome challenging what I believe is true. I welcome all of that. But I ask you, if you are going to try to convince me don't use these tired cliches because you don't have to scratch hard before that entire argument crumbles. So let's let's try to push this forward. Let's try to make all of us smarter, right? If you want to have the dialogue, if you think I'm wrong, cool. I welcome the challenge. I, I welcome to hear your point of view, but come on. Don't talk to me about college making these guys the biggest star. Because I haven't used LeBron at all, at all in my argument thus far. Don't talk to me about the NBA needing the college basketball, the one year of college basketball. As if these 30-some-odd games made Kevin Durant into the player he is now, or Kyrie Irving. Or Anthony Davis, or Ben Simmons, or Joel Embiid. No, they're not the guys. Don't talk to me about college basketball being a, a, a way for these guys to improve their game when professional NBA players work in the offseason with shooting coaches and defensive specialists and Akeem Olajuwon for post moves every single year. If you want to move me, if you want to change my mind, I'm open to it. But come on, leave the tired cliches alone. 
All right, guys, that's the quarter. That's the first quarter of the show. We're going to keep things moving, all right, with our second topic this week. Second quarter. It's time now for Rise of the Machine. Yes, for those of you who are not aware, this segment is a place where I get to vent, where I get to let loose of some of my, I guess some would say irrational fears of the impending apocalypse that will be led by artificial intelligence. Quick aside, I can't be the only one who's sick of seeing Commons ass on this stage talking about flying, you know what I'm saying, into the future with AI. Common, bruh, stop it. Dog, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on, man? Go back to, you know, one day it all makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if a chocolate? Dog, I don't know what you want right now. But I'm not trying to see you on a stage talking about Microsoft. All right? And artificial intelligence. Stop it, bro. Come on now. Anyway, usually this segment, again, for those of you who are unaware, where I get to kind of you know, pull whatever left the hair that I have the growing on, that's growing on top of my head and like scream to people like, yo, this seems like it's going to be a good idea. But as someone who was raised in the 90s, I saw Terminator 2. I know how this ends. We doing too much. You feel me? Technology is awesome. It's amazing to a point. I just feel like we are rushing beyond the point of no return. However, this week's Rise of the Machines is a little bit different because unlike, you know, segments of weeks and months past, I give you some latest news that scares the hell out of me. There really isn't a, a, a question, right? There isn't any type of divide internally for me. I'm completely against it. However, this week, they found my weak spot, y'all. This week, AI, the robots, they hit me where I'm weak, man. They hit me in the NBA and with statistics. For those of you who are unaware, this comes from Clutch Sports. Headline, the Magic become first NBA team to use AI in player tracking. So I'm going to stop right there. Knowing me, I was like, hell nah, Joe. And instantly I read that and I'm thinking, yo, they're going to have machines mimicking like the greatest athletes in the world. I, you don't have to really, you don't have to have much alcohol in your system before your mind starts to think, okay, this probably could end really, really bad, right? They're learning from our physical, like the best that we have physically. But of course, I'm tempted because they hit me where I'm weak. This is what they do. This is what they do, man. They know all of our weak spots already because of Alexa. You had to talk about in Siri and whatever else the hell they got going on, man. They already know where we weak. And this is how they trying to reel me in, y'all. I'm going to read again. This is from Clutch Sports. The marriage between professional sports and the advances in technology has become even more intimate in the past couple of years. Recently, the Orlando Magic brought this to a whole new level by publicly announcing 
their intentions to use artificial intelligence in tracking statistics. The magic are embracing technology and taking full advantage of the advances in modern AI to further improve their scouting system. It does not appear to go against any league rules. So if it turns out to be a success, one thing that will not be determined until at least a few years from now, it would not be surprising if other teams quickly follow suit. All right, so that's pretty much the bullet points, right? They are going to use this technology but not for the professional ranks. They're doing it as a form of scouting. This is from Real GM now. The Orlando Magic announced an exclusive deal as the only NBA team with access to AutoStats, a revolutionary new artificial intelligence technology from Stats. The Magic will use tracking data produced by AutoStats to analyze collegiate players and improve evaluation and decisions for the NBA draft. So, you know, I think this is pretty amazing. Like, I don't even know how they're going about doing it. I don't know how the Magic are somehow going to, you know, find this data for all these other schools, schools that have no ties to the NBA. Players who aren't professionals. So like, their bodies are going to be somehow documented and the magic will have this vast, you know, database of information. And again, on its face, that sounds amazing. Like for the magic, that is an upper hand that they will have for however long it will be. Cause like the article states, if it is successful, if you start seeing the Orlando magic, knock all their picks out of the park, you can guarantee that every NBA team will also follow suit. So yo, that's exciting, right? technology to 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 better inform right technology to help humans understand better but here's my thing when it comes to technology and gaining information through it someone has to be the guy or gal someone has to be the person who clicks the button or whatever the case may be to get the information we're not that far along yet, I hope. Because if we're at the point where the, the computers can now just do whatever the hell they want when they want to, oh, well then, man, kiss your babies goodnight. Cancel Christmas is over. But I don't think we're there yet. Which means there's someone somewhere who is who will be in control, whoever is running this stats organization. And just like it's in human nature that we all have bias, it's in human nature that the first law of nature is self-preservation. Whatever this person who is running this company, he can be swayed, right? Money can be a temptation to him. He has a vice. She may have a vice. It's not a may, they do. We all have something. What if this person just like, you know what? I have the ability to track this physical information why don't i track what other things that these players these elite players can and cannot do and then they give this information to the orlando magic which is which easily can be an invasion of privacy right like when does the tracking data begin when does it end is it just when they're on the basketball floor 
I have got so many more questions. Like the NBA. Hey, shout out to the NBA, bro. I All-Star Weekend, Adam Silver and Amar Rashada on stage talking about you can buy a jersey that when a player gets traded, you can change the, the name on the back of the jersey changes and the number, you can change the number. I don't know how the hell you can do that. Like, dog, I don't feel like I'm that old, but when I saw it happen on stage, in my mind, I'm thinking, yo, that's gotta be some type of cancerous jersey that you're walking around like how radioactive is that and now you've got college basketball players many of whom won't even be in the league having their entire physical you know information of how they move being given to an organization that's not paying them and they may not ever get drafted by the or like the orlando magic will have this vast information on these players I can't be the only one who thinks that's crazy. So on the one hand, that's exciting. Technology is, we're flying, to use Commons quote right from the commercial. We're flying with, an, uh, with AI. But the realist in me, right? The human side, not the person, the imaginative. No, the, the adult, the father, the person who has been on this planet for 36 years. I'm thinking, yo, this is not a good idea. Somebody has to hit the stop button on this. Because yes, if done properly, this will be amazing to draft players into the NBA, right? That would be the benefit. NBA teams will be able to draft better. This, the side effects, right? The, that the, that's the pro, the cons. Good God, think about how this could go left and the many ways it could go left. This is how they do it. I'm still gonna fight the fight, bro. I'ma see y'all, y'all Bama's already buying the shoes that you ain't got a lace. I know y'all gonna buy the jerseys that transform. You know what I'm saying? And soon enough, NBA teams, my favorite NBA team, your favorite NBA team will be having this, this tracking system that God knows when it starts, what it tracks, what it finds, you know, like ethical, when they feel it is unnecessary to stop tracking, all types of like really ethical questions that pop up that could come up with this discussion. We, we, we already there, but when does it end? Where does it end? And do any of us even have a clue? Because if they can track how your body moves when you're playing basketball, God knows what they're tracking when you walk into a hospital, right? When you're driving your car, when you're going to a school, when does it end? Because it's not stopping with college basketball. I promise you that. Yeah. They found my weakness, but I will continue to fight. You better know yours. Because if you were alongside of me, Slim in the war versus the robots. Dog, they not taking any prisoners. You feel me? The other day, I had some toast, had it on my normal setting, they burnt that joint. I know they know what time it is. Slim, they coming for us, baby. Get your bunkers ready. All right, guys, y'all heard the horn. Again, I'm paranoid right now, baby. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Like, again, that's an amazing idea. And the Orlando Magic, 
you know what? If it was any other team, I think that they would to be like fascinating to see how how successful an organization will be with that. But Orlando, New York, and Phoenix, those are those are like that's the Bermuda Triangle, man. It don't matter what you give those teams, it's all going to end in trash. Oh man! But guys, like I said, you heard the horn. The first half is in the books, which means. We are fastly approaching halftime, but this week, it's been a while, guys, so I am taking some of your questions and concerns, and this week, you guys had a few. This is what I like to call stoppage time. This is when you all get to interact with yours truly, get to talk about anything that is on your mind. Maybe you disagree with something that I said on the show or tweeted. Maybe you want to hear me talk about something that I haven't touched on yet. It is completely up to you, and this week, we have two tweets to get to our first tweet comes from lord chattius i hope i'm pronouncing that right and he takes offense to my um idea about gordon hayward and anthony davis i tweeted this um last week about the show talking about how so many players or so many people in the who love the nba seemingly dislike the nba players and this stems from, again, Anthony Davis giving the Pelicans a year and a half, essentially, to let them know he's not going to resign. Gordon Hayward kind of strung the Utah Jazz along, and Utah was not able to get anything, any type of compensation, once he left for Boston. And I was saying, both these players have done things completely different. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, Lord Chatty says it's completely different. Um, and it basically goes on to say jazz fans were upset because they didn't have an opportunity to get anything for Hayward. Whereas Anthony Davis is demanding a trade a year and a half before his contract is up. What Anthony Davis is doing is far worse. Lord Taddeus, when have you heard or read that Anthony Davis has demanded a trade? Like, it's semantics, but it's important. Anthony Davis requested a trade. Anthony Davis told the Pelicans he hasn't, he's not going to resign with them. But Anthony Davis, to my knowledge, has never demanded a trade. In fact, the Pelicans didn't want to play him. And Anthony Davis was like, no, I still want to play even though he wasn't traded. I don't know what type of demand that is. <laughs> you know, I I could go up to you and say, hey, man, if you got money, I'd, I'd, I'd like for you to give it to me. I'm not robbing you. So, you know, we got to be careful there, man, because so many people are trying to push this narrative that Anthony Davis hijacked the Pelicans and Anthony Davis is demanding a trade, and that's not the case. He signed the contract, absolutely, and he made a power play. I'm not excusing that. But at no point during his power play did he say, if you don't trade me, I'm going to do this. You better trade me. He, he never said that. Never once. His dad said he doesn't like Boston. I've never heard Anthony Davis say, don't trade me to Boston. In fact, Anthony Davis has said, trade me anywhere. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to resign there. That's completely separate. What he chooses to sign, what he chooses to do with his next contract is completely dependent or independent of this current situation and at no point have i seen or heard or read 
Anthony Davis demanding a trade. So we got to make sure we stay on point with that. All right. Next tweet. This one comes from Al Bang. I don't. I, I don't even know how to say this, but thanks again for the tweet. I appreciate you guys listening. And he kind of took issue with my stance that these Washington uh, Wizards and the Burgundy and Gold are peers in terms of dysfunction. He goes on to say. They're not exactly the same. The Skins haven't won a playoff game this decade. The Wiz have been top five in the East three or four times, which means they make the NFL playoffs too, and they won a playoff and they've won playoff games. All right. So shout out to you, buddy. I'm sorry I don't know how to pronounce your your handle, but you know, I absolutely think. In fact, actually, I'm doubling down. Not only do I think that the Burgundy and Gold and Wiz are peers in terms of dysfunction. I actually think the skins are run better than the Wizards. And this is not to say that I think <laughs> that the Burgundy and Gold are run well. And this isn't a knock on the Wiz. I actually like the Wizards much more than I like Washington, um, the football team. You know, I, I, I want the Wizards to do well. I'm completely indifferent about the skins. But that being said, we got I, this is this goes back to my whole point about bias. If you listen to sports radio in, in the area, you know, every station, every show, every host bashes Daniel Snyder. And for good reason. I'm not. Please listen to me. I'm not defending Daniel Snyder. But when you say that the Wizards are run better and they've had more success, let's break it down. The NFC is much harder than the Eastern Conference of the NBA. That's number one. So the fact that the Wizards have gotten out of the first round twice or three times, excuse me, in the last decade, I mean, what does that mean? The majority of teams in the NBA make the playoffs, right? So winning a round is not the equivalent of winning a round. In, you know what I mean? They are different. But here's the bigger point. To win 10 games in the NFL, something that Washington last did, I guess it was 2012. It's a RG3 year, I guess, right? They won 10 games that year. To win 10 games in the NFL is to win 62% of your games. To win 50 games in the NBA is to win, to win 61% of your games. So those are, that's pretty much equal on equal footing as any wizard fan or someone who follows that team knows the wizard slash bullets organization hasn't won 50 games in decades i'm 36 years old it has been i have not been alive it's been longer than my life the drought of the wizards winning 50 it did last did i believe in the 70s again i wasn't alive and i am a, i'm a full-grown adult so the idea that the Wizards are better or run better than the Burgundy Gold, that's just not true. And again, I'm not excusing the mistakes that Washington has made. They've made plenty of them, okay? They should have never traded for, or they should have never extended Alex Smith. That's just the most recent one. And you can go back and forth from 
God knows, however, you know, as long as Bruce Allen's been in charge, the Vinny Serrato, the Mike Shanahan, all of them, they've all made several mistakes. But say what you want about them, man. They don't hire people in secrecy. You know, Benny Serrato was awful. He got fired. Mike Shanahan was a snake. He got let go. Bruce Allen needs to be let go, and I don't know when that's going to happen. But Ernie Grunfeldt lived through it all. Let me know the last time there were guns in the locker room in Ashburn. You understand what I'm saying? So, nah, bro. I appreciate you, but no way in the world am I rocking with the Wizards being better. If you want to say that the skins aren't better, cool. They are absolutely peers. All right, guys. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. I love it when I get your fives feedback, whether you agree with me or not. It's all good. Get engaged, get interactive with the show. It makes the show that much better. All right, guys, like I said, it is halftime now. And this week on halftime, you know, it's the award season. We had the Oscars this past weekend. I think it was the Grammys two weekends before. And God knows whatever else shows and award shows that happened before the start or since the start of the new year. But it got me thinking, you know. We got all these people trying to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, you got all these sports shows that come on and they talk about, you know, the best picture being the best team and the best actor being the best player. And they use like this kind of pun and a play off of, you know, the the award season to kind of build an inroad with whatever topics they're talking about sports wise. But me, man, I like to do things even different, man. I'm playing 3D chess with this. You know how. When the All-Star game was going on, TBS or Turner, TNT had the regular broadcast, but the TBS had the players-only version. Or when the National Championship game is going on and ESPN has the regular broadcast, but ESPN2 has the coaches show and then ESPN News has like the super broadcast where all the, the talking heads are sitting on the couch watching the games. Well... I feel like they need to do that, but with the twist when it comes to the award show. Turner, they get the rights to the Screen Actors Guild Award. Whereas ABC and ESPN, they have the rights to the Oscars and the Grammys. So imagine watching the Oscars, Oscars this past Sunday night, and instead of doing the, the host of the show, or you hearing all the music and the, the narrator, you actually had Bill Walton and Dave Pash calling the Oscars. Sounds kind of trippy, right? Well, if you can't imagine with me, allow me to give you an example. Check it out. Welcome to the 90th Annual Academy Award Ceremony. I'm Dave Pash calling tonight's festivities with the one and only Bill Walton. Bill, what do you think about tonight's nominees? What do I think about tonight's nominees, Dave? Are you serious? In the immortal words of Jerry Garcia, since it costs a lot of win and even more to lose, you and me bound to spend some time wondering what to choose. Come on, one time, Oscars, Bill Walton, Dave Pash. Let's go, please. 
Good evening everyone, Ernie Johnson here, bringing you a special presentation of the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Tonight I'm joined by Chuckster and the big man Shaquille O'Neal. Guys, what are you most looking forward to this evening? Well Ernie, I really am looking forward to Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I really love that movie, rest in peace to Queen, you know, but it was an amazing film and I really think that they're going to win it all. Shut up you big dummy. The whole group is not dead. What are you talking about, Shaq, man? You don't know what you're talking about. Queen, rest in peace, God bless the dead, but they have passed away. Well, Chuckster, actually, Shaquille O'Neal is right. Actually, only two members of the group have passed on, but your main point still stands. We'll see if Bohemian Rhapsody can come away with some awards this evening. So what I tell you, big dummy, you see, you know, the movie, it was fantastic, but this whole situation is just nuts. I'm, I talk basketball, okay? I don't know anything about movies. What did you say, Chuck? Did you say, this is nuts? <laughs> Ernie, did Chuck say that this was nuts? Think about it, right? Anytime there's a big sporting event, you know, NCAA tournament, it's on TNT, TBS, True TV, and some other channel, right? Uh, the national championship game, it's on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News. They've got all these different telecasts to give you a different perspective, right? Similarly, anytime there's a big event in the entertainment world, all the kind of sports talk shows, if you will, they'll have, you know, best picture, meaning like the best game, best actor, the best male athlete, best actress, best female athlete, et cetera, et cetera, right? The next logical step would be to have, not on ABC, right? ABC will do like the Oscars or the Grammys. Don't have, you know, Bill Walton call it on the main channel. But like on ESPN2, why wouldn't you, or ESPN News, have Dave Pash and Bill Walton just add that extra level of entertainment value to the game? It would be amazing. I, I mean, I'm serious, bro. I Like, it's funny. Maybe y'all think it's not. I'm dead serious. I think that that would be an amazing addition. I don't watch any entertainment award. I don't watch I don't watch the Grammys. I don't watch the Oscars. I don't watch the Scream Actors Guild Award. I'm just not into it. But if you told me that Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal are talking about the Screen Actors Guild Award, there's no way. Everybody that I've saw, everybody that I know that has seen Bohemian Rhapsody, they told me that it was a bad movie. I'm certain that Charles Barkley would get up there and say that a movie that is universally, you know, criticized, he would be like, yo, this was the best movie. I'm serious. Ask yourself this one question. If Bill Walton was calling the Grammys or the Oscars, would you be more willing to watch? Because I know I absolutely would. Matter of fact, forget I even said that because I'm about to get this trademark to something, man. I, this, this is, I think I'm sitting on the gold mine here, so... We're going to fast forward that. Pretend you didn't hear halftime. And we're going to keep the show moving. Third quarter this week, I'm welcoming in my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. My next guest is more than just a guest to me. He actually is family. My cousin, Sadiq Abdul, making his monthly appearance on the quarterly report. Deke, what's going on, cuz? What's up, cuz? Hey, quarterly followers and fans. How y'all doing? As you all know, if you've listened to the show, when my cousin is on, he gets the opportunity to tell me what I'm sure many of you all are thinking as I give some of my takes. Let me know whether I'm crazy or not. I get, I get, yeah, I get to say what the public is thinking, man. You crazy, you be tripping. So I get to speak for the people right now. Shut the hell up, you tripping. <laughs> All right, man, so you know what? Without further ado, let's get to the first topic this week. 
Topic number one in the D.C. area, you know, the trade deadline was a few weeks ago and the Washington Wizards broke up their quote-unquote big three by trading Otto Porter to the Chicago Bulls in exchange for Jabari Parker, Bobby Porters, and a future second-round pick, I believe. So we have a few games, I want to say seven to eight games now to kind of see, still extremely small sample, but I am convinced that the Wizards lost the trade versus the Chicago Bulls. We know the statistics over the last three years. The Wizards don't win at all when Otto Porter is not playing. Y'all know I'm a fan of Otto Porter, despite the fact that, yes, he is overpaid. Bong. You know what? I'm not arguing that. But Otto Porter is a good player, and he's better than the players they got in return. I think when you look at Chicago and how they've played since the trade and their young core taking shape, and when you look at what has happened with the Wizards, I don't think it's a close decision at all. I think the Bulls won the trade. Sadiq, I know you disagree. So just go ahead and tell me why I'm First crazy. First off, let me let me correct you with this uh, so-called big three. It was a so-called 2.5, <laughs> the big 2.5, because Otto is not even a full one. one. You can't put him in no big three nowhere. And I'm going to tell you, you really think Chicago won the best of this? You Man, you crazy like you just stated. There's, there's no way. First off, anytime you work, walk in... Let's say you just walk in the store and they got a two for one sale and I'm getting two things, but yet you about to purchase one thing, right? Of equal or lesser value type of uh, situation here. So although as far as the money goes, him and Jabari on a one year, you know, type of same type of money, but Jabari's money is going to be up next year or as a play option or something. I'm not sure exactly how it's, how it's uh, stated, uh, stipulated, but yeah, t- team option. Exactly. So you're getting two quality players. And then Jabari's also younger for, by a couple of years, for one year, if I'm not mistaken, right? And he had, he had overcome a couple of his injuries and stuff like that. But Jabari, at the end of the day, Jabari was a number two pick. So I'm getting a number two while you're getting a number three. And my two is younger, is bigger, and his, he's a little more explosive. He's had injuries, and he's more explosive than the guy who hasn't had injuries. And then you're also giving me this bonus in Bobby Portis, who's a good be, uh, bench piece on almost anything you could use him in the right type of situation i don't think scott is using him right as far as rotation that we just discussed when i came over you know i don't you know scott might not be using him in rotation as far as him and brian but portis is a good piece though so if we get no there's no way chicago definitely i ain't gonna say they lost this trade because I, I feel like both teams got what they needed and got rid of situations that they want to get rid of so i want to say it's a win-win for both ways so it's no you know I would give you that, but we did not. I know one thing. D.C. hit with it. We did not lose that at all. We didn't lose. Okay, so let me tell you why you're wrong. Okay, a few points. Number one, mm-hmm. I don't think Jabari Parker's that good. I don't think Jabari Parker is just, just because he was taken with the second overall pick doesn't then mean that he's better. Hell, Andrew Wiggins was taken with the number one overall pick over jo- Joel Embiid in the same class. Does that mean that Wiggins is better? So I, I just refute that rationale off, off the strength. That's number one. Number two... Otto, the Bulls, they're not ever going to sign a big-time free agent. I shouldn't say they're not ever, but they haven't, and they have no desire to even do so. So the cap space for Otto doesn't really mean much to them because they're getting a quality player. So many people in D.C., yes, Otto's overpaid. But so many people in D.C. look at Otto as being a bad basketball player because of his contract. And instead, they ignore all of the positive things that he does well. Otto does not turn the ball over. Otto spaces the floor. Otto is a versatile, very good defensive player. He's an amazing shooter. So you've seen, just with Otto coming in, a low-usage player, Lloyd Markkinen is starting to play at his best basketball in his career. I don't think that's a, a coincidence. Zach Levine has lessened his turnovers, has 
kind of relaxed into his role. They got rid of two players who can't defend, who are inconsistent, specifically Jabari. And they got someone who is consistent and is actually playing much better and is helping the team move forth. Now, from the Wizards' perspective, Jabari Parker, of course the team is going to opt out. That's nuts for anyone to pay Jabari Parker that much money. And Bobby Portis, he's looking to get 12 to $16 million. There's no way he's not going to get $12 million this upcoming offseason. They traded Otto Porter for essentially a three-month rental for two players. And it's likely, I shouldn't say likely, but it's a very real possibility that neither one of those guys come back. So my main issue with the Wizards is they could have gotten more for Otto, right? Utah wanted Otto. Sacramento wanted Otto. There was reports that the Pelicans wanted Otto. Could have got picks. You got two guys on an expiring one restricted free agency. And no one here in their right mind trusts Ernie to evaluate young talent. If they bring back Bobby, it's going to be at a contract that's not valuable. And if they let him go because he's too expensive, you basically traded a player who had value for three months of nothing. Because I don't think either of us okay. think well, that they're going right. to make you, the playoffs. You made, one, you made one point that I like, though. Let's say this. Let's just say in hindsight or, or you know, say in general we might don't bring both of them back. Say somehow both of them, we let them both on walk, right? We still win. We still win by doing that because now we have free money to spend somewhere else on somebody else. We got rid of all those contracts. We got rid of all those contracts. At the end of the day, we, he got a he got a halfway fadeaway. He's a catch and shoot three guy, and we pay him max money. We got him off the books. So I don't care what we do. That is a win. That is a win. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports analyst, and monthly contributor to the Quarterly Report podcast. Y'all know the routine. Each time Deke is on the show, he gets the opportunity to let me know if I'm crazy with some of my sports takes. So apparently I'm crazy because I think the Bulls won the trade. However, the record since the trade for both Chicago and Washington still favors me. But you know what? Small sample. We'll see how it plays out for, for the future. But we're going to move over to our second topic this week, and this is going to combine the NFL and the NBA. Earlier in the show, I had a tweet from a listener saying how I was wrong for thinking that the, Wiz or the Wizards and the Burgundy and Gold were peers in terms of dysfunction. That's what I said last week. And then I thought about it a little bit more, and you know what? He was right. I am wrong because I think the Wizards are actually run worse than Washington. I have a feeling that you have some strong opinions, some strong takes on this as you are a Wiz and Burgundy and Gold fan. So, Sadiq, am I crazy for thinking the football team is run better than Washington's basketball team? Yes. The, the Wizards are not ran worse than, than the Redskins at all. First off, I mean, it even sounds like just now you're saying Washington. You didn't even want to say their name. Like, you know, it's always it already goes to the, you know, you have issues with, the fans, you know, a couple of years ago of, of the name, ever since the RG really debacle of 2012, the Redskins have been in limbo with that ever since. You know, it got one coach fired and his son, you know, and then you bring in Gruden, who, you know, didn't want RG also. That's that whole problem. Then, of course, RG's understudy or his backup or whatever you want to call it, and, and Kurt, that was a whole mess up. At least the Wizards have kind of been consistently making the playoffs. You know, we were we were one quarter away from making the Eastern Conference Finals just two years ago. If John would have showed up in that fourth quarter, he got tired. You know, that was on Scott for pushing these, a seven-man rotation so far that he can go. You know what I mean? So everybody got tired. So, no, the Wizards aren't 
ran worse. You know, we might the only thing I can say is the GM we might have gave too big of contracts of recently. But even even when it goes to the owner, I haven't heard anybody saying Ted needs to get rid of the uh the, the give up the reins of the team. But everywhere you hearing people saying Dan has to get rid of you know Dan got to get rid of the Redskins or Skins got you know somehow he got to get out of town he got to sell the team. So the Redskins are far are further off than than the Wizards. The Wizards. Okay, bad, so let though. me make myself perfectly clear. I do not believe that Daniel Snyder, mm-hmm. Bruce Allen, and the Skins are a well-run organization. But I do think it is important to note, like you said, so many people are critical of Daniel Snyder. One of the main reasons people are critical of Daniel Snyder is because he's so mm-hmm. unlikable. And there are more people yeah. who know or watch or discuss the NFL than the NBA. So in the NFL circles, yes, people understand how bad Daniel Snyder is. But I will give him credit. Mm-hmm. I always would rather have the owner who's willing to spend money. Now, we could talk about how poorly he chooses to spend his money, but I'm, I'd always Same rather the owner who, would, who doesn't mind spending the money for a winning product. Ted Leones is in the Wizards. They do everything to make sure they save their money, right? You had so many people, so many respected journalists, if you will, right? Writers, like radio show hosts, uh, reporters, if you will, praising Ernie Grunfeld for getting the Wizards below the luxury tax. What, how does that help the team? What what good does, it, does that do for the team moving forward? When it comes to the Wizards, everything is about saving money. And also, and I, I said this earlier in the show, winning 10 games in the NFL is the equivalent of winning 62% of your of the games that you play, right? 10 games in a 16-game NFL season is the equivalent of winning 62%. 50 wins in the NBA season is the equivalent of winning 61. The fact that the Wizards Bullets organization hasn't won 50 in either one of our lifetimes says speaks volumes. Ernie Grunfeld kept his job after guns in the locker room. Ernie Grunfeld traded a top five pick with no conditions for two players who were not on the team two years later. Ernie Grunfeld has Jan Mahimi to a $15 million contract and he's sitting on the bench, doesn't play. You know, we could go on and on and on. Ernie Grunfeld thought that Austin Rivers was a good player. He's, Scott Brooks is one of the six highest paid coaches in the league. Scott Brooks may be one of the three worst coaches in the league. All of this happens. Look, again, I'm not saying that Washington is great, but just look at the talent that they've brought in. Kyle Shanahan was in that in that coaching room, right? He was there. Scott or Sean McVay was there. They have had talent in their coaching staff, in their coaching ranks, right? Some of their front office personnel, they've been there. And then they have gone on to succeed elsewhere. But they can identify talent for whatever reason. It just doesn't work off here. The Wizards, when was the last time they had an assistant coach that was worth the damn as a head coach? When was the last time an assistant coach became a head coach elsewhere who was on the Wizards bench? It doesn't happen. I still, I don't know. I still feel like the Wizards are, are, are ran a little better. I just, I still, I don't know. I, I, I can't. Redskins, oh, we've just been such limbo of a 500 mediocre type of team for so long that it's just, I mean, the Wizards give you some type of excitement at some point, though. 
You know what I mean? Redskins don't give you that type of, oh, this our year type of feeling ever. You know, it's just, it, I, can't, I can't get with that. Then it's just too much turmoil. It's always something, you know. You got to play. First off, think about this, though. If that's the case, we just got rid of DJ. You know, he was talking about coaches and stuff in the locker room. You don't really have that with the Wizards. Other than, like, John and, and Bill, like, people were trying to make a story of somehow they didn't like each other and stuff. Like, they're trying to manufacture stories. But whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on now, right? Earlier this year, like in the first two months of the season, we had John curse out the coach. John curse out Jeff Green. Brad curse out Ernest Runfield. We had Austin Rivers snitching on everybody to Stephen A. Smith. And, and, then, and then you had the whole Dwight Howard scandal. No one talks about that anymore because he hasn't played since. But, yo, we remember all the stuff that was swirling around Dwight Howard. Man, I don't want to talk about the Dwight <laughs> stuff. I can't talk about the Dwight stuff, man. That's something different. That's once again, y'all, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul. He is a promoter and sports analyst and monthly contributor to the Quarterly Report podcast. And on his appearances with the show, we know he gets the opportunity to let me know if I'm crazy with any of my sports takes. So apparently I'm, I'm two for two in terms of being crazy. We'll see if I could figure something out on our third and final topic. Kyler Murray is it's draft season. We all know this. Mock drafts are coming left and right. And Kyler Murray is the name that everyone is talking about. Everyone is discussing whether he should be taken, where he should be taken, and how good he will be. I think Kyler Murray is a phenomenal talent. I hope he does well. And I think in the right situation, he will succeed. However, I do not think he is worth a first-round pick. Sadiq, am I crazy? I want to say you are, but okay, yeah, yes, you are. For the sake of this argument, I think, yeah, I think it's time that somebody takes a chance outside of the box, like way outside of the box, outside of the triangle, basically. This is way out of the hemisphere. So, but I actually think somehow in this new NFL of this video game NFL, you know, the Patrick Mahomes NFL, that's what we go move into basically where, you know, they want, you know, 50-point games, you know, Patrick Mahomes versus golf type of offense. I feel, I feel like this is about to be groundbreaking I, I think i think that he if anybody could break the mold and get it done i think he has the type of talent the god-given talent you know because now he's not just a football guy you know he plays baseball he has a big arm for his size i mean i feel like he can, he's about to get it done he, i think he's gonna be like kind of equivalent of the jackie robinson of, of short guys you know he's gonna be like oh nobody's ever seen this happen blah 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 but i mean think about it russ is only three inches tall or maybe two inches tall something like that you know and he found yeah he finds he finds a way to get it done and not only that, Murray has breaking, broken records of the same offense that um that Baker was just in. And Baker was NFL. He killed the NFL just last year. So I feel like I feel like if anybody can get it done, it's this one kid. Now I'm not gonna say let's go crazy every season and drive and draft five, six, five, seven guys. And not only that, in this new NFL, as far as like the launching point for defensive players coming at a quarterback, his shifting and quickness. You can't even hit this man. You can only hit a quarterback in between their, their torso and, like, the knees up, right? So now that he's shorter than everybody, you're a 6'7 or 6'6 six, six defensive end, 6'5 defensive end, like some of them tall boys down Dallas that are coming at you. How are you even going to get that low to even get down to hit this guy? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I don't know. This might be the one time you could take that type of opportunity, you know, take that chance. Now, he might not be, he's not going to be in the pocket because it's going to be hard to see over his own guys and see over, and, and see over the defenders. But with the right, like, innovative type of offense, the right mind, 
you know, moving him around or just just t- different type of things. And especially if you pair him up on any team with a great running back, somehow where he has a great running back where they can run the RPOs, you know, where he, you know, you're looking at, oh, man, which one got the ball? You're going to be in trouble. I actually feel like he'd be, he'd be the one guy that you could take that chance on. I think he, I think he's going to get it done. I, I'm, honestly, I think he's worth that first-round pick. See, this is the thing, man. And, and you mentioned Russell Wilson. And I feel like Russell Wilson is the perfect example. And the other short, really short quarterback in the league outside of Baker Mayfield, and we'll get to him in a second, mm-hmm. Drew Brees, right? Russell went to the who perfect both won, who both situation won, both won Super Bowl. Drew Brees went to the perfect situation in the second round. These guys mm-hmm. were not first-round quarterbacks, right? And because they weren't drafted in the first round, there wasn't this immense pressure for them to succeed right away and to be kind of the face and to lead the team to the promised land, if you will. Um, If you draft Kyler Murray in the first round, you're basically, in today's NFL, you're signaling to everyone that he is going to be the face of the franchise. He is the person that we're rolling the dice behind and is going to build us, take us to to the promised land. And I just don't know if the talent that he has shown while it's there, I definitely think he's a talent. Reaching for a quarterback in today's NFL, in my opinion, is the worst thing a team can do. Last year, Baker Mayfield was the one quarterback, in my opinion, who had first-round talent. Josh Allen, uh, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold, in my opinion, they weren't. They definitely weren't top t- top ten players. Lamar Jackson went into tail end of the first round, and he went to a team that had everything else built around him. So, okay, you know, I think Lamar was a second-round talent. A team moved up from the early second round into the late first to do it. But my point still remains the same. Reaching for quarterbacks is, like, the biggest issue with NFL teams. The the Bears, they reached for Mitchell Trubisky. Imagine if they just drafted Pat Mahomes, right? We're looking at the Bears completely different. If Patrick Mahomes was playing in Chicago, man, you cancel Christmas. But teams reach for guys every single year. People reach for Johnny Manziel. People reach for quarterbacks because they keep thinking that you need a quarterback to win. And while Kyler Murray is talented, and I think he could be an extremely successful quarterback, if you rush him, if you rush him to a team without a running yeah. game, without an offensive line, I think you're asking okay, for Okay, but tell me, tell me this, though. Your, your initial question was first round. Are you saying lottery like first round top five pick or just first round you don't want to be that team that passes this guy up you know you don't want to wait to third round and you could have been like damn we could have got this guy and then he tears the league up you know you don't want to be that team so you take a chance so i'm not saying he should be the very first number one pick maybe not even the third pick but yet first round yes to answer your question he should be first round yes with that type of talent that he has all 30 teams should not pass up on him one time you know what I mean? It should be at one team somewhere that takes a chance. And if he does, and if yeah, if he does have to sit, you know, and learn, do whatever, somebody somewhere can pick him up. But he should not. Third round, no, he needs to get picked up early. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my cousin Sadiq Abdul, promoter and sports analyst and monthly contributor to the Quarterly Report podcast. He had the opportunity to let me know I was crazy three times. So apparently I need to work on some of my sports takes, even though I think I'm right. Over three. You're terrible. You're terrible. <laughs> All right. But <laughs> moving forward, we're going to have this bonus, you know, cousin dialogue, if you will, before we uh, move on to the fourth quarter. Because something that I feel really strongly about as the NBA season continues mm-hmm. is the most improved player award. Typically, this award goes to second or third year players who 
you know, have a natural progression in their game, right? Mm -hmm. As a young player, as a rookie, you kind of wide-eyed, right? There's a rookie wall we all know about, and you're just kind of getting acclimated to the game. The second year, you're still trying to get adjusted. There are improvements. Third year, usually there's a big-time leap, right? Those guys are usually the players who get most improved. But so much of that is just based off of more minutes you're playing, your body being more comfortable. A lot of times rookies get injuries. Yep. And I think this year, while I think Pascal Siakam is an amazing basketball oh player God. and he has improved his game, I think Paul George is the runaway, should be the runaway winner of yeah. this award. Paul George went from a really good player to an elite level player. So much so yes. that he's going to be first team all NBA over LeBron James and Kevin Durant. What Pascal Siakam or Montrez Harrell or D'Angelo Russell, what these guys have done have been has been amazing. But a lot of that is just because of more minutes and more shot opportunities. What Paul George has done has taken being one of the best players, being already an all-NBA caliber player, being already an all-star, and becoming an MVP candidate. And he's not going to win MVP, and I know he's not going to win most improved. But this year, I feel so strongly about this. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, Sadiq, because I think Paul George, I'd be willing to fight for this. Paul George should be most improved player this Man, year. Man, I'm with you 100% because I'm talking about we going down the alley together. We fighting this all the way. I'm going to tell you, what, what Paul is doing is amazing. In this new NBA where people, everybody is on just all scores. Everybody loves the Currys, but Curry, but Curry has to defer yeah, pardon, you know, but listen, but when it comes down to when they have to play defense and check the other team's best player, Harden isn't checking the other best player. Curry is not checking the other best player, you know, unless the, the other player is small, you know, he has to check him like a Kyrie. But that's why Golden State is trying to put Clay on a, you know what? But Paul George takes on that challenge. In this new NBA, Paul George is a mixture of Harden or, you know, or as far as scores, you know what I'm saying? Like the offensive Harden. And then he has that Scottie Pippen defense mentality where he's taking, man, Paul George is killing right now. He's not going to win MVP. I already know. They just, they enjoy him putting him in the conversation to have it a three-man race. But I feel like Giannis is going to get it this year because they're going to finish with the best record. They finish, you know, Chris Webber always talks about kids learning and watching. Oh, kids, when y'all watching this, you should learn this. All the kids that are watching, Paul George need to take take heed into where he's going and what he's given on the court the 40 minutes that he plays he doesn't leave a single second out there of, of not playing hard that guy plays yeah exactly he's he doesn't take no minutes off no seconds off and then the funny thing is people always kind of clown paul lately of like you know that commercial he had where he was like man paul ain't never hit yeah exactly he probably never hit a game winning shot he been 0 for 17 blah 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 paul is hitting three game winners this year and the one and the one over gobert the one he split the two defenders in an inch the floater over gobert people don't realize unless you play ball you know all these analysts who ain't never did anything a floater is not an easy shot if you don't use the backboard most of the time it's not a, it's not he was running full speed he had to shoot it over gobert he is the best block the shot blocker in the whole league basically as far as just being linky to make that shot to be a game winner paul is on a different level this year and like i said he deserves and just the comeback of, of breaking the leg two three years ago whenever that was and then he took on the challenge of, I didn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron and all that type of stuff. He wanted to stay where he was. He wanted to build. He didn't want to just keep jumping from each team. Paul deserves something. 
I don't even care. They just get this man a rookie of the year or something. Get this man an award. Like, <laughs> just give him any award at this point. Get him coach of the year. Just give him something because he deserves it. The way he's playing is a phenomenal. It's amazing. It's fun to watch right now. Like, I'm I'm hooked on OKC. When I look, when I look on the channels and I'm seeing who's playing, I want to see OKC right now because Paul is on something different. I love what he's doing. And there you have it. After 20-some-odd minutes of Cousins fighting, we finally agree on something. And that's how we're going to end the, the conversation. Deke. You know what time it is, as always, man. Thank you so much for rocking with me on the show. Remember, he's a promoter, sports analyst, and a monthly contributor to the Quarterly Report podcast. Sadiq Abdul. Deke, you already know what time it is, man, and can't wait to have you back on the show in March. Man, you know, I love being on, man. I love you because it's perfect. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, so obviously we have one last quarter before the end of the show. So let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. The Los Angeles Lakers are the glamour franchise of the NBA. We discussed that earlier in the show, just briefly. But this year, I'm starting to question a lot of things. As a LeBron fan, let me get my bias out of the way. LeBron James is my favorite athlete maybe ever. He is my favorite basketball player playing now. He's probably, outside of any player who's played for the Knicks, my favorite basketball player of all time. And more so than just the way he plays and how amazing a player he has been and how durable and kind of how he's what he's meant to the game on the floor, I enjoy LeBron James because he has kind of completely shifted how not necessarily we individually as fans think of the player and the power that players have and possess in leagues, but specifically in the NBA. But he has shifted the paradigm in terms of how we discuss and how we view players in its totality. And the conversation of players just playing and more than an athlete, right? And shut up and dribble all the kind of buzzwords that have been tossed at LeBron James for years now. He has taken it, right? It was wild when he left Cleveland. It it literally people we could disagree and we can have and people who don't like the decision, the first one, have plenty of valid arguments in terms of how it was handled. But the actual literal decision for of him leaving Cleveland was a groundswell moment in the terms of the NBA. Like it has literally shifted how we view players and their choices as free agents, right? Because before LeBron, it was, yo, how many rings you get? If you don't win, no matter how poorly run your organization is, that lies on you. That falls on your shoulders as the star. And now it's like him doing that has lifted this kind of idiotic trans that the league had put on so many people, not just fans, but people who cover the league. And it's like, yo, these organizations have to carry some weight. Like the organizations now have the pressure because if you have a great player for seven years, you are expected to build a championship contender with them. And if you don't, you lose them. See New Orleans, right? So yes, I am a LeBron James fan. However, I can't, I can't pretend like what's going on in LA isn't a disaster, isn't a train wreck. And LeBron James deserves 
a significant amount of blame. Absolutely. And while in this day and age, there are a lot of people who are more open in criticizing and critiquing the quote unquote best player in the league. And I have ne- I haven't thought LeBron was the best player in the league for a few years now. I don't think he's the best player of the league now. And people are somehow saying that as if that's like a hot take. No, LeBron hasn't been the best player in a few years now. But he still holds the mantle of the biggest star of the league. And there are some people still to this day who are going by the age old tradition. You know, the star player, once they have achieved the greatness, once they've reached the championship plateau, they are above criticism. And I just can't rock with that. LeBron James is a diva. <laughs> let's, let's keep it. Let's keep it a funky all the way. He comes into a new team instantly. He does not like the coach. He does not like the power structure. And it has been the case now for four separate organizations, twice with Cleveland. We have seen it. LeBron James has never lied. He has never shied. He has never told us any mistruths about his desire to be a billionaire athlete. He has his eyes set on more than just winning basketball games. And I'm not mad at him for that per se. But you can't be the dude trying to A&R to change his album then talking about your teammates' focus. Nah. That, and you may be right. LeBron James, we all know the focus that LeBron James has in terms of playoff intensity and making the postseason and yes the young core of the los angeles lakers have never played in a playoff game so yes you would imagine of course the focus would be different and yes lebron i'm sure he can focus on doing multiple things at once but slim you can't be the guy you can't choose to go to the team that hasn't had success in years now and try to lead them back to the promised land while you're doing all of these other things at the same time, in addition to your game declining in real time in front of our very eyes. That's nuts. So, yo, LeBron James deserves blame, and he's getting some, some from national media pundits and the hot takers on television. But I feel like he should be getting more. He signed up to go to the Lakers. The Lakers weren't a good team. He chose to go to a bad team and go to a bad team with championship aspirations. Forget that. Championship expectations. The Lakers, we talked about this months ago. Since Magic Johnson came into the league, the Lakers win essentially every four or five years on average. They expect to win. And for good reason. They always win. So while I'm watching the NBA kind of play this game of chicken, right? Kind of a little worried, a little, you know, cautious about critiquing the the star of LeBron James. I'm like, no, critique away. He deserves criticism. We can't be scared to criticize the biggest star, the biggest star, excuse me, the biggest story, the biggest player when they have it, when it's necessary. But I got to be honest with y'all, man. While LeBron James deserves a significant portion of the criticism when it comes to the Lakers' poor play, one person in particular deserves far more, and he's not getting a drop from what I've seen. And it, and it hurts to say it because 
LeBron James has positioned himself as a pillar of the NBA community, meaning you can't talk about the game of basketball from this point on without mentioning LeBron, the game of the NBA game, excuse me, without mentioning LeBron James. You can't do it. The same can be said for Magic Johnson, Irvin Magic Johnson. We all love Magic Johnson, all of us. It's hard. You can't. I don't know how you can love the NBA and not love Magic Johnson. I don't know how you can love sports and not love Magic. When we talk, you know, we talk about the American dream all the time. And it, and it comes in and in, in talks and conversations about the NBA and sports in general. But ultimately, who personifies the American dream more so than Magic? I mean, think seriously. Think of... They had a 30 for 30 just on the HIV situation with Magic. But imagine just doing a 30 for 30 on his life. That, that's going to be longer than the OJ joint. Starting off where Magic started off. Playing, winning a national championship, beating Larry Bird. Then the struggle, like, to, to start your first season and, win, and do what you do. Win a championship for the Los Angeles Lakers. You and Larry Bird together carried the league to new heights and passed the torch off to, Ma to Michael Jordan. Then obviously the HIV thing. Fighting it and being the businessman that you are since then, the philanthropic endeavors that he has continued to do. Magic Johnson is an icon. Magic Johnson absolutely is an American hero. The American dream personified. I remember to this day being in the in the car with my mom, my mom not going to the store, just sitting in the car as the announcement from Magic Johnson played. And everybody's like, yo, Magic has AIDS. In reality, he had HIV, right? As someone who was 36, Magic taught me about the disease. And I know I'm not on an island, right? Generation of children now who are in their 30s or 40s were, were taught about this disease that at, at the time seemed like the plague. Just running through just large, amount, large amounts of the population. And if you want to widen the spectrum, still is terrorizing parts of this globe. Magic helped me and helped countless other young children at the time understand and come to grips with this disease and he's and he carried that he was the face of it and didn't blink didn't stutter didn't sidestep it at all and now this disease that just 25 30 years ago was looked upon as a death wish we've made such progress with it and magic we can't sell short the importance that he played a part in just in terms of us as a nation gripping, coming to grips with it. That's just, you can't dismiss that. You can't quantify that. So we all love Magic Johnson. You don't have to be a Lakers fan to love him. If you are, of course you do. You don't have to be an African-American to love Magic Johnson. You don't have to be a basketball fan. You don't have to have HIV or know, known someone who had HIV. There's so many things. Magic checks off all the boxes. So I get it. You know, each sport has like 
the, the Mount Rushmore of athletes who we just protect and we, we defend because we love them so much because of what they've meant to us. And Magic Johnson is absolutely that. Hell, I remember, I remember when Magic Johnson first got the position of president of basketball operations for the Los Angeles Lakers. And I remember saying to myself, and I even tweeted like I had a thread about it, like, yo, I'm happy for Magic, but he hasn't done anything to deserve this position. That was met with a lot, relatively speaking for me, a, a lot of, you know, pushback. And at the same time, Dan Lebertard went on his radio show and said the same thing, essentially. Like Magic has failed as a coach. Magic failed as a talk show host and all this other stuff that, you know, outside of coaching doesn't really matter in terms of running a, a basketball operation. And then he got met with criticisms of being a racist. And I was thinking to myself, come on now, right? Dan Levitar has done a lot. And just because you are open-minded and progressive and have helped out in terms of, you know, racial injustice and inequalities, does it then mean you're immune to possibly being racist in other facets, right? You could be someone who's all about, you could be a man who's about empowering women and still have you know, show tendencies or be, you know, a misogynist or someone who has, you know, anti-feminist views. They, like, both things can't happen. So I'm not saying that Dan Levitari couldn't be, but this wasn't the way. He wasn't racist at all for his questioning of Magic Johnson's credentials in terms of running a basketball operations for the Los Angeles Lakers, mind you. And I was looking at so many people going to town saying that this was racially insensitive and Dan Lebertar was out of bounds. And I'm like, no, he's absolutely right. And that goes back to my initial point. We're so protective of magic. Uh, he checks off so many boxes. So African-Americans, uh, many of us, we, we rush to protect magic because there are not that many people who get that opportunity. Right? If you are a woman and a woman gets a job whether they deserve it or not they're going to be people who would defend them because in the vacuum yeah magic johnson right magic johnson is the person but in the, when you scale things back minorities when given positions of power we don't get that much op the opportunities just aren't there compared to other to compared to our our counterparts so magic being a black man or if you're a woman or if you're um, your sexual orientation, your religion, you know, any minority, when you look at the history of this world, specifically the history of this country, you understand why people would be defensive. I get it. I understand. But the criticism, the questioning of his credentials were completely in bounds. And here we are now, two years into his tenure are we not going to say what's been painfully obvious magic has told us he said it himself if i don't bring two stars here and within my first three years you know i deserve to be let go i deserve to be fired or whatever the case may be however he phrased it he's got lebron and i'm not sure how much 
Magic play a role in bringing LeBron James to L.A. I think LeBron wanted to go play for the Lakers regardless. Right? I don't know if Magic had to whine and die in LeBron. Maybe he did. I don't want to take anything away from him. But I feel like LeBron already had his eyes set on L.A. whether Magic was running the show or not. And we've seen what has happened this year, and it's a train wreck right now. Slim the bus left without the head coach. Luke Walton walks out. We all know what's going to happen with Luke. He's gone. And I don't think Luke Walton is a bad head coach. I got buddies who follow the Lakers, and they, they don't think he, he's much of a head coach. But I don't think he's bad. I haven't seen anything from him that would suggest that he's a bad head coach. But that's not Magic's hire. But if he hires Jason Kidd, slim. <laughs> we really want to have a, we really want to start a discussion then. But let's look at some of the moves Magic has made. He drafted Lonzo Ball, and I think Lonzo is a talented player. And I actually think that he's getting a bad rap. His game just hasn't. There are people who criticize. When you play the way Lonzo plays for a glamour team like the Lakers, plus minus and offensive rating and wins your defensive win shares and all that stuff is going to be thrown out the window. They're going to ask you what your points are, what your rebounds, how you defend your assists. The raw numbers can be overrated. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that they don't, they're not rated. You know, people care about those numbers. And drafting Lonzo ahead of Tatum, I mean, even Kobe, Kobe even questioned that, right? And to, to a new generation of Lakers fan, Kobe, he's the king. I live in D.C., and I'm seeing Thomas Bryant play phenomenal basketball. Despite the fact that his head coach seemingly hates him and Scott Brooks, the Lakers let him walk for nothing. Julius Randle is playing amazing. The Lakers let him walk for nothing. They didn't get anything back from him. Imagine having a front court with Thomas Bryant and Julius Randle. Thomas Bryant, someone who has endless amounts of energy, protects the rim, runs the floor, and has three-point range. While Julius Randle can bring the floor up by himself. Imagine that. Even if they're, you don't start them together. The versatility, the youth, the energy. When you watch the Lakers play now, they look lethargic. Thomas Bryant by himself would, it's like a rush of adrenaline, a shot to the system. Magic deemed it, he wasn't a quality player. Julius Randle, phenomenal talent. Magic let him go for nothing. D'Angelo Russell, we all know the, the history there with Los Angeles and the Lakers and look, I'm not going to knock the trade for Russell. They got Kyle Kuzma with that trade, and Kuzma, I, I'm, you know, I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's a quality player. But that can be looked at as a as a knock on them because Russell is an all star now. You look at what Magic surrounded LeBron with, and now those players aren't playing well. Everybody talks about how great playoff Rondo is. Well, you know what? He is. You got to get to the playoffs first. And right now, Rondo is struggling. Tyson Chandler 
barely can get up the floor anymore. Lance Stevenson shouldn't be playing in the league anymore. Michael Beasley is no longer playing, but I don't even know if Bees is in the league anymore. These were all magic decisions. And yes, Magic Johnson means so much to the NBA. He's always meant such, so much to the NBA. And yes, Magic Johnson is the American dream. And yes, as an African-American, I'm happy to see someone get that type of a job. But I go back to when Magic was given his position. It was the wrong hire. He hadn't shown us anything to tell us that he could get this job done. And you know what? If Magic has a, a, a an amazing offseason this upcoming year, if he signs Kyrie Irving or signs Kevin Durant or trades for Anthony Davis or maybe does two of those three, I'll eat the bowl of crow and I'll tip my cap off to him. And like, you know what? You know, I was a little too early. That was a false start on my part. But as it stands right now, last week of February 2019, Magic hasn't gotten the job done. He had an opportunity to get Paul George. He chose to hold on to Brandon Ingram. Think of how nuts that is right now. Think of how nuts that is. Imagine Paul George playing with LeBron James. LeBron James in decline. Paul George's game is ascending. Paul George is going to be first-team All-NBA over LeBron James. That's a fact. Imagine having them both. That's a passing of the torch that the entire Laker nation could get behind. Magic chose to hold on to Brandon Ingram. So when Dan Lebertard and others, and when I criticized the hire, it wasn't because it was racially driven. We were, we were questioning the hire because when Magic Johnson walks into a room, Magic Johnson is one of the very few minorities, whether it's race, uh, sex, gender, sexual orientation, religion, whatever the case. When Magic Johnson walks into a room, he, is, he has the benefit of not being a minority in that situation. Like no other... Very few minorities will ever know what it's like to walk into a room like Magic Johnson. So in that case, he's a part of the old boys network, right? Give Magic the job. That's cool, yeah. Doesn't matter his credentials. Doesn't matter what he's done to deserve it. Doesn't matter if he's capable of the position. It's Magic. That's just like when the Knicks gave Phil Jackson the job. Why? Because he's Phil Jackson. Doesn't matter... Mike Mayock got the Mayock got the job for the Raiders. Why? Because he's Mike Mayock. It doesn't matter. And then when Magic got the job, the first hire he had was Rob Palenka to be the general manager, who was an agent. <laughs> what has he done to deserve the position of being a GM? And that's the problem. Magic got the job because of who he was. And when he got the job, he gave a huge position to someone who hadn't worked his way up the ranks. He got the job because who he was and the connections that he had. That's that's problematic, not just in the NBA, but in all walks of life. 
at the top of businesses. There are too many people who get jobs because of their name and then give out jobs because of who they're cool with and the connections that those people have. Meanwhile, and one of the reasons why I was so upset when Magic got this job is because I personally know several people who have been working in NBA front offices, organizations trying to climb that ladder. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I talked about, you know, uh, analytics and the, the idea that minorities don't use analytics. And I know several people who bust their behinds, learning, studying, trying to be ahead of the curve, learning new kind of formulas and ways to evaluate talent. So yes, we all were happy when Magic got the job because yo, a minority getting this huge position with the, the glamour organization in the not NBA and in North American sports. Yes, that's something to celebrate. But Magic skipped the line because he's Magic. And cool, that happens, right? No one outside of Jerry West can hold a resume when it comes to just life in the NBA that Magic Johnson can have. But then Magic then had Rob Palenka skip the line too. And thus far, there is criticism to go around. LeBron James deserves criticism, absolutely. He chose to come to the Lakers, and the Lakers have been playing subpar. The Lakers probably at this point in time won't make the playoffs, and LeBron James's game is declining while he's pointing the finger, while he's being an A&R and having a television show host and a reality and a movie star. He's doing all of these things. He deserves blame. Luke Walton deserves blame because it doesn't seem like he has control of the locker room. But like my, like Bradley Bill, the, the American icon, the, the Washington Wizards savior, the man who's made me look more foolish than any other NBA player in recent history has said. It starts at the top. And Magic, dog, you got too much dip on your chip. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'll see. I'll reserve judgment for this offseason. Maybe Magic literally has some magic up his sleeve. But, yo, it's time to show and prove. All right, guys, once again, I want to thank my cousin, Sadiq Abdul, for making his monthly appearance on the show. I want to thank each and every one of you all for listening to the podcast, man. Let me know. Lakers fans, I know you're going to be at my throat. That's fine. You know what? Let me get this out the way, too. Guess what? Kobe Bryant's not top 10. Boom. I said it. Send your hate mail my way at quarterlyshow at gmail.com. Again, quarterly, spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Tweet at me at Quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Tweet at me on Twitter. Let me know what you agree with, what you disagree with, or topics that you want to hear me discuss. Also, before I go, early in the show, I made a slight mistake. I said that Austin Rivers was taken before Giannis Antetokounmpo. They weren't in the same draft, so pardon me, my mistake on that part. But y'all get my point. Austin Rivers shouldn't have been a top 10 pick. Stop it, okay? Once again, guys, head on over to Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes. Leave a review what you think of the show, why you love the show, why you don't like it if you don't. And let me, your friends, and the world know 
why this is the best sports podcast around five star ratings would be greatly appreciated as well all right guys i hope you have an amazing weekend and i'll see you back here next thursday on the quarterly report